Okay, everybody, welcome uh, to this episode of Popcorn Drink Combo. Uh, today we are discussing Altered States, uh, what's really billed as a science fiction movie, but is really almost more of a horror movie, directed by uh, Ken Russell, based on Patty Chayefsky's novel. Um, Good old Patty. Uh, yeah, you know, um, I had not seen this, I think, since about 1981 or 1982 when it played on cable. Uh, so I, I remembered almost nothing about this. Um, did you remember a lot about this, Peter? Only certain scenes. Like, I, I didn't remember the ending, uh, unfortunately. Because if I probably, if I would remember the ending, I probably wouldn't have said, let's just, let's watch this one. <laughs> you wouldn't have picked it. I wouldn't you know, have picked is, it. This is the kind of movie that, like, when you're a kid and the adults are watching it, you think it's some sort of sophisticated thing. And then when you watch it as an adult, you're like, oh. <laughs> Swing and a miss. <laughs> well, you know, it's kind of funny because... Like the first half, I was really enjoying it, and then it just goes off the cliff. But we'll get to that. Um, so stars essentially um, William Hurt, uh, Bob Balaban, and Blair Brown are kind of the the main three. Uh, do you want to give our summary, our our, our, our traditional summary? Although I'm not that sure how the hell you're going to summarize this one. Yeah, it's 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 a little tough. So it's <laughs> by the way, as we record this, I'm in a I'm floating in a large tank of Jello. <laughs> um, this is a uh, well, basically, this is this is chronicling the uh, goofiness um, because it, it really it the movie becomes goofier and goofier as it goes along, which we'll talk about, but. It's hard to summarize the plot, but basically the plot's about, um, or what they intend the plot to be is, um, William Hurt is a, is a scientist who is brilliant and a bit eccentric to say the least in that he is interested in sort of primitive states of consciousness. Um, he's interested in, um, the, the, part of the genome that's been passed down through, uh, and I'm trying to translate this into something semi-coherent because it's not very well uh, explained in the movie. But what they're, I think they're trying to say is he's interested in the, the portions of biologic genomic history, especially as pertains to consciousness that are passed down from earlier organisms and ended up in us and whether it's possible to crawl back up a sort of in a almost uh some cross between a biochemical and a Jungian um way back to some kind of root of thought or consciousness um and so he undertakes uh sensory deprivation experiments um he works in, in involves various... like lying in this tank of water Right, and space helmet on. That's partially based on reality because they they were doing that. I think especially in the '60s, uh, there were actually uh, experiments like that, and supposedly um, people do hallucinate if they spend long enough time in a tank that is basically completely dark, completely silent, and the water is exactly at body temperature. So what happens is you can't really feel the water, from what I've heard, um, because it, there's very there's almost no sensation um and when you spend hours there apparently people 
will tend to have unusual sensory experiences because there's no sensory input for a prolonged period of time and it causes some sort of visual or auditory um, stimulation to, I guess, be um, either to happen or, or be perceived where it normally wouldn't be because there's nothing else coming in. Um, you can you can buy sensory deprivation tanks now. Like I'm, <clears throat> they're all over the internet. They're about fifteen grand, and they look a lot nicer than the ones in this movie. By the way, um, I wish I had one of those at work sometimes. <laughs> um, um, so he goes into the tank. So he goes in the tank. He he takes um, basically some kind of Indian, you know, Mexican, Native American. Uh, hallucinogens. He explores. He works in a couple of different tanks, and he ends up um, after his psychedelic experience in the tank. He comes out and turns into some type of early hominid and runs around, beats things up, ends up in the zoo, kills and eats stuff, and comes back. Um, and that part of the movie, I personally, I like that first sequence actually um but then to me the movie gets really goofy because they go from from that to um him being uh, what happens after that i think oh they have a discussion and he says that you know he he does it again this time and his wife or ex-wife is there and his other buddies from academics and he there's some kind of physical phenomenon that happens and the, the tank explodes and there's flashes of light and there's a, a lot of special effects and there's this kind of 2001 slit cam meets like um, meets like um, uh, blood splatter effect uh, that goes on for a while or, or sort of like histology meets 2001 um, looking thing <laughs> that goes on for about an hour and a half by the way. Uh, and then, uh, he, she rescues him and, and then he starts talking and his justification of this is that, um, he's found something that tra it's, it's, she said, well, clear, I think I believe you that you actually had some genetic changes and that you, you did sort of, there was a physical change that happened because before that no one believes him. Right. Um, well, except for the fact that he becomes a gorilla transiently. Right. He's like Australopithecus uh, William Herticus. <laughs> William Herticus. <laughs> for, uh, for a brief time and, you know, runs around. But, but still Accidental no one... Accidental Right. <laughs> but nobody really saw him except for the poor security guards that he brutalized. But they had... Um, right. But they did have a gorilla x-ray of him. Uh, sort of. Right. And by the way, this is the only movie where Rayal just actually features in the movie ever <laughs> at all. But um, so... Um, uh, but still nobody really sees him. They kind of have these, these fuzzy, um, fuzzy, um, evidence that, that he's doing it, but nobody really sees him. And so this time she kind of believes him that maybe he changed. And then to me, this is when the movie fully goes off the rails. He, he says, no, it's past genetics and past physical at this point. It's, it's something it, it's, you know, past the laws of physics and past genetics. <laughs> it's some kind of metaphysics. There's something right, it's past energy and matter. Magical, he says. Right. Well, yeah, he says this is past genetics. It pa it's past matter and it's past energy. 
That's what right. he says. So then, you know, it's totally goofy. And then the rest of the, the, the next five minutes of the movie are just atrociously bad. Um, the ending is, is terrible. Um, so, you know, he sort of he, he sort of like by the end, he sort of morphs into this amorphous, you know, version of Slimer from Ghostbusters. Yeah, he, he reminded me of the Toxic Avenger. He kind of, he, he kind of, <laughs> and then he turns her into like the Toxer Avengerette for a while. Right, she's kind of like Lava Woman, uh, and she's melting, melting Lava Woman, uh, glowing, and he slams on the walls, annoying. I mean, his neighbors. Can you imagine being his neighbor? I mean, he's slamming on the walls. He's he's killing animals, running around as an ape. He's I mean, what a pain in the ass it would be to have him as a neighbor. But so he slams on the walls and he beats himself <laughs> back into humanity. Although it's all happening in the basement her. of Harvard Medical School. Well, not when, they're, not when they're in their apartment. Oh, yeah, that's true at the end there. And uh, so, and then love saves them because, you know, he hugs her and she turns back into a human and, right. you know, um, <laughs> it makes no sense. And then the audience runs for the doors. So, so this, so I thought this movie made more money because, than it did. Cause it did the, not make much. It only made a little tiny bit. It, it, it made, according to Wikipedia, made nineteen point nine million and cost fifteen million. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it got a lot of buzz at the time because it was sort of psychedelic, and there's a lot of nudity, and there's well, some it had sort of good, violence. It kind of has. It has like a nice poster, and it had good. I remember that the previews were good. Like I remember the the shot of of the hominid, this sort of um, hominid, which is the only uh the only thing i've ever seen that has an ass hairier than mine by the way when he's running around but um so the so the hominid is running around like in this wet street at night and there's dogs there's wild dogs chasing him and it the visuals of that are sort of nice and they make a nice preview you know so it looks scary right. and interesting but and when then, you when you actually watch it he looks like the geico caveman <laughs> right <laughs> Except without the without the, the the humor, without the wit, it's, it's the guy go out with no wit. And this movie's so simple, even a caveman can understand. It. <laughs> uh, you know, f frankly, you know, yeah, I wonder if they used the 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 vine, like whatever leftover special effects bits they have when they made the Geico caveman because you're right actually <laughs> he really looks close. like the Geico caveman right um, uh, William Hurt is at his most patrician is this like yeah. like he's almost too good looking and like his hair is always perfect you yeah. know like somehow he emerges from a ten percent magnesium solution in a tank and like two seconds later his hair is perfect. Right, you know. Well, I think I, he. I thought he actually was was pretty interesting to watch in this movie. I mean, his performance. You know, sometimes he has to say some lines that are real yeah. groan inducing. He, you could tell that they all were sort of struggling with the dialogue. You know, you know yeah. it's funny because the movie starts out with portraying like the three main characters as sort of serious academics. And they're talking about papers and tenure and promotion and colleagues and collaborators right. other sites. And by the end, you know, they're, they're just talking about magic and voodoo, essentially. Right. And they get the part, um, they get the, the academic part, they get the tone right. You know, they, In the they, beginning. Yeah, yeah. The first half. 
Right. They sound right. They're kind of like their labs kind of look, maybe they're a little too dark, but otherwise they kind of look right. Right. You and I have had some background in that, right. Kind of stuff. And it, they get the kind of tone right in the beginning. Um, and, like, and like, for example, I, I like the way that the character Mason the other professor, he's sort of the fourth banana. Right. Uh, he's like a professor who's very skeptical and upset by all the work. And, you know, he sort of says, like, you know, like, I, I'm editor for a journal. Like, I, I run Journal Club. I'm on right. all these national societies. And we're down here in the basement talking about magic. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, he's sort right. of, he's sort of, he's like the stand in for the audience to kind of give voice for the ridiculousness of what's happening. Right. And Bob Balaban, until his little argument at the end, Actually, mm -hmm. it's great because Bob Balaban, every time something stupid is happening or an effect is happening, Bob Balaban starts stepping in and doing kind of what a normal person would do. Like, he'll say, like, do you want to come out of there? Or are you OK? Like, right. What, he's taking notes and he's, you know, he's charting. He's acting right. kind of the way, you know, and he's usually a voice of reason until he goes completely off the rails <laughs> at the very By end. The, end. <laughs> the last, you know, in the last five minutes, they even corrupted poor Bob Balaban, who before that had this, you know, was really sort of a very solid, normal kind of character. You know, and we've seen Bob Balaban do this, uh, this almost this exact shtick before. Like we, he's in Close, Close Encounters, Encounters, playing a very, very similar character. Yep. He will play will in 2010, the Peter Himes film. He plays Dr. Chandra. Uh, again, playing a very sort of similar, you know, he's the voice of quiet reason. Right. By the uh, way, he, the uh, the x-ray tech, when they go take his gorilla throat x-ray, is John Larroquette. John Larroquette, who plays Maltz in Star Trek Three. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you managed. You got the reference. He's there. the guy that uh, says to Kirk, after Kirk and company take over the Klingon Bird of Prey, he says, I do not deserve to live. And Kirk says, fine, I'll kill you later. And it's like, right. ha, 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 that's John Larrick. That's right. That's right. And also uh, Drew Barrymore has, has yeah. a, a bit, has a bit She's part. She's one of the, the kids. kids. One of, right, one of right, right. Uh, Eddie Jessup, William Hurt's. Um, right. I didn't actually know kids. that until I saw the credits. Yeah, me either. Um, I didn't notice. I like the way that they start off at, in New York at, at Cornell at New York Hospital. Then they, they wander up to Boston to Harvard so, Medical School. I think it was Columbia, by the way, because when they're no, shooting. No, it's Cornell. They say it's Cornell. They and do, they talk when, about the New York Hospital. I know they do, but then the outside scenes, it looks like up by oh, Presbyterian. Yeah. Well, but there's also there's an outside scene at Columbia Undergrad, too. Yes, there like, is. Yeah, it, yeah, it, I saw that. They're walking. They're walking in front of the big library, at Columbia. I don't right. know, but you know, they probably just were like, "What looks academic?" You know, right? They picked where they could shoot, and it was mostly um, like a couple streets and and a couple of uh, scenes on cam on campuses. I will tell you, I thought that the best thing in this movie was Blair Brown. Like, she's actually interesting. Um, right. I mean, their their romance is ridiculous. Until like the, the way that they they right they have this sort of like strange and awkward romance and she proposes marriage to this obvious weirdo very quickly but she's sort of interesting and she's trying to have a normal academic career in the midst of all this and and she's sort of engaging and looks like a normal person you know like like i don't know i thought that she did a good job with what they gave her they, they have her do a lot of weird stuff in this like like for some reason the first time they have sex they have sex under a heat lamp I guess you know, she's like, supposed to be a dumpy apartment and it's cold in there or right, something. But, but they're like drenched in sweat. I was thinking like turn down the heat lamp, you know? Yeah. Um, um, 
and he, you know, he's he's kind of a dick to her. You know he, what I he mean? He totally is. He he's sort of like sort of a little on the on the autism spectrum throughout a lot of the movie because he's yeah. supposed to be so sort of sort of not asocial in a way and dedicated to his work. He's sort of like Sheldon Cooper without the charm. You know? Yeah, like he I was thinking she's settling for him. Like she she you know you know uh, she would have the pick of the litter at Harvard. <laughs> I can guarantee. <laughs> Uh, I think um, that 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 they underutilized their story. You know, so let's, maybe we should preface this. Let's talk about could they have fixed this movie or fixed it at least from our viewpoint, right? Like, could could they have turned it into something decent, or what could they have done? Is it possible? I, I think they could have. And I, to me, one of the things is that you center, they could have had the same theme about their relationship and maybe their relationship sort of um, redeeming things in the end without being so ridiculous. And they could have focused on their relationship and then stuck to maybe, maybe a little a la the fly, a little bit of a more gradual transition where he has some, he has some sort of regression or, or change into some kind of, um, earlier animal or, or hominid um, where he has characteristics of that come out or maybe they come and go in, in a way and, and right. or they end, affect his personality more than the hair on his ass yeah I mean right right did they have to have him turn instantly from one to the other all the time and and you know could, right. and, and if they would have given away all the all the, the amoeba slash 2001 stuff and the, the end sequence where they go completely haywire yeah. i don't know where it that felt came like from. a cheaper version of 2001 like perhaps 20 dollars and one you know in one cent like 20.01 <laughs> <laughs> is kind of how it felt yeah 2001 you know, pesos <laughs> it did kind of remind me of the it's funny you mentioned the fly because there is there is uh some structural similarity to the fly in that it's sort of like scientists working on their own without oversight. They go into a chamber, they experience some transformation, and the danger occurs when, you know, the main character sort of ab abandons the safety protocols and does the thing alone, right? right. He, does, he does relatively okay early on when he has Bob Balaban to talk to on the microphone, but he starts going in the tank alone, a la Seth Brundle, and gets into trouble, right. you know? Yeah, I mean, um, interestingly, the fly, which starts out seeming more ridiculous because it's about teleportation and this sort of ostensibly would seem to be grounded in some sort of possibly yeah, the fly was more believable than that exactly like the fly starts out with something with a bigger leap but it ends up more believably whereas you know uh they just really they go completely off into outer space uh in this movie towards the end <laughs> and well and the fly has the flimsiest of technical explanations that you can swallow you know like well they merge their dnas you know in this machine whereas this is like you know he takes you know he takes a magic mushroom and floats in a tank of water and becomes you know the geico caveman like what um, yeah i mean essentially you know they they the themes in this movie which i i never read the book um all yeah states, i don't know anybody who read the book but um you know i wonder 
clearly I'm assuming the book and clearly the intentions of the, the core of the script is about interesting things, right? It's about, um, what, what is the, what's the difference between, um, a human consciousness and a hominids consciousness or, or an apes, uh, right. Or, or what's a primitive animal or something. Right. And, and what, what things are, are inside us that were genomically, you know, uh, um, phylogenetically sort of uh, inherited and that are right. still there. Right. And, 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 he, and he, he gets how much in can they influence us? Right. And he's able to sort of get in touch with his so-called R-complex, like his primitive early brain. You know? Right. And plus, you know, you know, the other issue is um, the old Frankenstein story about uh, man creating life and, and tech, what technology can do, uh, and, and how man can play God and, um, um, what, you know, what is, what's the basis of the perception of spiritual things. There are big themes that, that this movie tangentially, um, touches on. And then it takes, you know, every time it gets close to, Doing something decent and let alone clever, just merely acceptable with them. Um, it, it just like they ignite the, the four stage booster and blast off to the Andromeda <laughs> galaxy. Well, it sort of becomes forced by the end. Right. Like, like I was wondering, like, how were they taking it seriously when, when William Hurt has to, you know, wear that blob like appliance, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, did you notice that the scene where he's, when he's the caveman, good Lord, uh, when he's the caveman running around the basement of Harvard Medical School, well, just, just think about that sentence, by the way, when he's the caveman running around the basement of Harvard Medical School right? and, and the cop and the, the janitor are looking for him. Did you notice how similar that was to the scene of, um, Harry Dean Stanton as Brent an alien looking for Jones the cat. Like the rooms are the same. The, they're sort dark. of in large dark chambers with pipes and dangling chains. The camera work is the same. An alien is one year before this. And I was thinking like they kind of ripped that off of Alien, like that whole sequence. And it's one of the best sequences in the movie, actually. Um, yeah. And I wonder if it's one of the best reasons because they stole it from Ridley Scott. Like, like I actually paused the movie and watched that scene in Alien because I was so <laughs> reminded of it. And it's very, very clearly set up the exact same way. Hmm. That's an interesting observation. I, I didn't think of it that specifically. I, I think you're probably right. I sort of just thought of it we as... Should, we'll put in the link to the podcast, uh, yeah. that scene. We'll see if we can find the Altered States version of that scene as well. And, you know, to go in the other direction, um, the AHA video, Take On Me, has the exact same effect as the end of this movie where he's banging yeah. into the walls and every That's time right. he hits the wall, there's like a sort of a, a color change or a transformation and it's the exact same effect that they use in the end of this movie. So we'll put up the links to that as well. Yeah. But you could sort of That's see people video. borrowing left and right from, from, from each other in this thing. However, but by the way, at the end of the movie, when he goes from being the blob and she... She sort of, you know, she becomes lava woman. Or, or another way to put it is she looks sort of like Geordie LaForge in the Star Trek The Next Generation Identity Crisis. It's the same sort of effect. How did you um, remember that? 
<laughs> this is the way my brain works. But at the end, at the end, when they emerge back to their human forms, their hair is perfect. <laughs> I mean, come on. Right. He doesn't even have like a, you know, you know, his hair requires more maintenance than Jordy LaForge's, let's say that. <laughs> right, right. Oh, exactly. Um, although although they, they, they're always tastefully nude, you know, like their hips are always sort of blocking stuff or like every, you know, like the, the nudity, like when they emerge from their altered alien, whatever, primordial paramecium forms, uh, even though they're naked, you don't really see anything. Right. You know, it was, it was, they demurred there a little bit. Um you know, by the way, that, that was the Bronx Zoo that they filmed the zoo scene in, uh, although they said it was the Boston Zoo. Somehow the Boston Zoo is right next to Harvard Medical School. Um, Maybe he just ran really far. <laughs> no one noticed. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny because it looked like first he was in, when he, when he kills the animal, he was in a cage with what looked like gazelles. Then it looked like he killed a deer, but then he said it was a sheep in the next scene. So I was kind of left wondering, like, well, what happened there, you know? You know, and it's funny, too, because there's a very similar scene to that in American Werewolf in London, which comes out the following year, where right. um, David, um, uh, in one of his nights as a werewolf, he kills an animal at the zoo, and he wakes up in the cage there. Um, so, again, you can kind of sort of see how, you know, I was thinking, like, what else is happening around this time? Like, uh, cat people with Nastasia Kinski, right? And they're, they're sort of turning from humans into cats. Or did you ever see Wolfen with um, yeah, Albert Finney and Edward James Olmos? And that has humans shape shifting into animals. I forgot that. about that movie. And, and all of these movies are within about they're within about thirty six, forty eight months of each other. So these scripts must have all been bouncing around Hollywood. And you can imagine, I bet a lot of these, you know, these studios and effects people kind of knew what the other guys were doing to the point that there's even air bladder effects in this movie just like an American Werewolf in London yes. like whenever his stomach and his arms bulge out it's all air bladder effects and alien you know to a certain right. extent yeah but um, yeah I mean this is the era I mean after 2001 A Space Odyssey which was what 68, 69 um, 68 yeah I mean after that there's a big interest in movie in in sci-fi Psycho yeah and sort of like psychedelic right and themed sci-fi right and, and then almost and then all of the effects yeah almost all of the effects in this movie are optical i was thinking like this is sort of you know there's a few practical effects but almost everything is sort of optically done there's a little tiny bit of cgi i, I don't know if you read that but this was like this movie featured like very early and primitive use of CGI during the final sequence, but it's almost all done optically. I thought that some of the images that he saw, like the images of hell and sort of the crucifixion, I thought actually some of those scenes were pretty effective. I like you know, the early vortex. In the movie. Even though the concept was stupid, I like the way the vortex in the room looked, that big swirling vortex that she right. goes and pulls right. out of sort of like a large toilet <laughs> right and a they large were, flushing toilet right i think they were in, in the northern hemisphere <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh yeah no it did look good i mean like you could see like they put work in this but I, you know it's funny because i was also thinking of the black hole like to go all the way back to the dawn of popcorn drink combo um to the black hole like, There's a good question. Which one's the, worse? 
I think the black hole is worse, but it, yeah, it's I close. So. It's close, but the black hole is worse, though. But like the black hole, like because the movie is called the black hole and it takes place near a black hole, mm-hmm. they must go into the black hole before the movie ends. And you could tell that they were kind of trapped into the same thing. Like they couldn't just have them go into the tank and come out and go into the tank and come out. Like something huge had to happen like he had to really have an altered state that was like so over the top and you could tell by the end they were like you know what do we do like well well i i guess i'll go to the tank and he'll look weird and there'll be explosions and fog you know you could kind of see like like at the end of the movie they're just throwing everything at you Mm -hmm. um because they kind of run out of stuff to do so the movie sort of ends with this nonsensical 15 minutes of bizarre effects that's you know in this sort of screechy score so that you at least feel like something dramatic happens even if it's not really rewarding from a story point of view and makes no sense yeah oh it's uh, i mean it really goes off the air off the off the chart you know i i I, you know yeah i was also sort of hard-pressed to understand how you know he becomes a caveman uh, and then, like, you know, he changes back and his hair is the exact same length and he has the same haircut and his teeth change and he gets taller. Did you notice that the caveman was shorter than William Hurt? Yes. And well, he describes that when he's talking right. about what happens. Right. But somehow he gets taller. Well, again, I mean, you know? I think Australopithecus was a little on the short <laughs> side. So <laughs> I don't know. Like, like, I think if they had made like a a subtler change to him or maybe like his personality changed. Like, you know, it would have been maybe a little more interesting, but he literally became a caveman running around Boston naked, you know, battling dogs and eating a deer, gazelle, sheep or whatever the fuck. Yeah. And that was not, that wasn't even really bad. That scene compared to the what's to come. I mean, that, that part makes perfect sense compared to the last like 10 minutes. Yeah. There's um, lots of shots of everybody sweating. Did you know that? Like, like, yeah. like everybody's sort of like got beads of sweat on them throughout the movie. How come there are a pack of wild, literally wild <laughs> dogs in Boston? Right. At Harvard Medical School. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe that's true. I think some of the faculty are like that. Right. Or at least the residents. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. It's just, it was just kind of funny. Right. Like the, the, the dogs. <laughs> They're just like wild, marauding dogs. Packs. <laughs> right, Boston's rough, but Boston's not that rough. They also, you know, one other thing I noticed, that sometimes the editing, the pacing, the editing was rough because when he goes to, um, when he goes to the Indian, um, he goes to Mexico with the, uh, with the Indians right, with- and does the ceremony and he, he has, he, he trips trips balls right and they have this first trip scene with him and um in the cave right and then he kills this lizard and or he denies it but you know right although one lizard was harmed in the making of this film definitely um and um um i think they fed that to the special effects guy by the way the the, the lizard carcass but no the um Right after that, you know, they cut right into another hallucinogenic sequence. But right, very explain. abruptly. And you're, I'm, I'm sitting there watching And then he's this supposed thing. to be back in Boston at that time. Yeah, then then he it turns out he's back or he's, he's in his tank again. I mean, it makes no sense. I mean, I just, 
it just it, it, and you know what it it did not only was it clueless but because that another hallucinogenic scene had zero context it made it so confusing to watch and made you made it feel even 20 times longer than it was because right. you're thinking what is what what where it what's going on it seems longer and, and more painful so i you know, I, it, I just wish it, they didn't do that the whole movie takes itself like, <clears throat> extremely seriously. Like, you know, like they never break character. Like sometimes like they deliver this dialogue that's so strange and ridiculous. Like you kind of half expected them to sort of like look at you and kind of shrug. Yeah. You know, and go back into character. But they don't like they don't, you know, they play it serious the whole way through. I mean, this is William Hurt's breakout role. I mean, this yeah. is the movie that makes kind of him a star. Yeah. Well, I think um, Bob Balaban at his crazy argument with um, Charles Haight, with Mason Parrish in the end, when they're arguing and, and yelling at each other about, and, and Bob Balaban says how he, you know they have to go get an undergraduate and feed him some peyote and stick him in the tank and replicate <laughs> this because it's it's he has to find out what happened. He can't sleep and he, he has to figure it out. And he's screaming. I think the first few takes, um, he he did it. Uh, he wrapped it and was holding his crotch and smoking a blunt. And they, they, <laughs> they told him that he had to change that, that he had to do it straight. So I think um, he tried to inject some comedy, some comedy. It's interesting how like hurt, this is hurts first movie and he just takes off. Right. I mean, Strong a work. year later he's in body. heat. two years after that, the big chill kiss of the spider woman broadcast news, accidental tourist. Yeah. I mean, he Major just, star. He, yeah, no, I know. And, and to believe he ends up playing Duke Leto in the TV version of Dune. Jesus, perhaps the worst miscasting in his career. But anyway, um, I don't know. You know, I I kind of feel like like it was a, a valiant and noble effort, this movie. You know, like they saw it through and they took it as far as they could go. And again, I, the first half hour, I was like, this is really interesting. Like, good pick. And like by the end, like I was literally like clawing my eyeballs out. <laughs> You're stringing up the noose. <laughs> the last, the last ten minutes. If you're not tempted to harm yourself, um, you have a hell of a, a lot of restraint. Yeah, but I'm telling you, I thought Blair Brown and Bob Balaban are four Bs. Um, I thought they were the best thing in this movie. And the guy who plays Mason, who's the guy who plays Mason? Charles, Charles Haid. Haid. Yeah, he was. He was in um, that cop show in the eighties. That was that was his biggest role, I think. Oh, um, NYPD Blue. No, no predecessor to that. The one um, Hill Street Blues. Hill Street Blues. Yeah. Hill yeah. Street I Blues. didn't. I never watched Hill Street Blues, but uh, but he, he was really he was really good in this, you know. And like he kind of like brought the movie like as the every time the movie kind of tried to like fly off the handle, he would sort of tack it back down to earth. Although in the end, even he couldn't keep it. Uh, grounded, but you know the way that he sort of talks about how ridiculous and crazy and inappropriate everything is, I thought was was pretty interesting. He has a pretty good filmography, although I have to confess I haven't seen a lot of the stuff that he's been in. But he was really good in this. But I'm telling you, I like Blair Brown. Like I don't think I've seen her in other movies that I could recall. 
but uh, she had sort of like an interesting look and like the way she sort of like acted her scenes like she was more convincing than than William Hurt was in a lot of ways you know like she wants she's worried he's hurting himself or he's putting himself in danger and you know like even though they're sort of separated like she's still in love with him and she wants to sort of see if they can you know find a way although by the way they casually in the movie have him sleeping with an undergrad did you notice that right like and she she calls him Dr. Jessup and like at one point like with no explanation like when she's in Africa she goes to Africa to study chimps or something uh they just sort of without any explanation he's seen having sex either with some sort of like undergraduate or graduate student well he makes a reference like, to how he has to go on a date with one of his students right when he's yeah still i mean one, like one scene well, the, Right, although after they've had sex, she still addresses him as Dr. Jessup, which I thought was kind of weird. <laughs> well, what I was thinking was, like, this guy, he doesn't have enough entertainment banging co-eds like that chick. He can't, like, he's got to go he's gotta take get more, tank. he's got to go take more peyote and go eat, you know, live <laughs> zoo animals. Like, this is I not know. enough. Like, I was thinking, like, well, for most most middle-aged dudes, there is paradise right there. <laughs> and this dude's running around the street with wild dogs. Oh, my God. Um, it reminded me of, uh, um, did you ever watch Friends? Like, you know, the great refrain yeah. from Friends. We were on a break. You know, like, she was in Africa. I'm allowed to fool around with my students. Well, you're right, though. He does explicitly say he's got a date with his student. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag me too. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Like, <clears throat> a val- I, again, a valiant effort. Just a valiant effort. I don't know. I think they I got know. completely fablunged and disorganized one. I, I mean, I, I can, you know, there there was some controversy in making the movie that, that happened, but I, they changed directors, et cetera, et cetera. And, yeah. No, uh, by the end, they're definitely tripping over their own underwear. But, you know, like I said, I think, you know, they saw it through. Like, they did what they could do. Chayefsky took his name yeah, off of it. I think they, I think that, that they could have if they stayed together, th- this could have been a pretty good movie. I mean, and you know, Ken Ken Russell, who directed this, was not a a, a rookie filmmaker. I mean, he'd been making movies since the sixties, yep. um, but Very, he, even he yeah. couldn't save this. Well, thing. that's the thing. I, I don't I don't know exactly what happened, but man, they what a shame. I haven't read the book. You know, it's funny because I, I think the book might actually be out of print, but you can get cheap copies of the book on Amazon. Like, I'm sort of tempted to see how it goes off because Chayefsky said that they used his dialogue, but they delivered it all wrong. And that was one of Chayefsky's big complaints is he said that, like, the actors couldn't really, like, say the, the words the way he wanted them said or, like, they wouldn't sort of phrase it right or... The intonation was all wrong. He felt like the actors were just racing through the dialogue, possibly because it was hard to say. Mm. He was banned from the set. He and Ken Russell had huge fights, and apparently Chayefsky was banned from the set because he was so disruptive. And Ken Russell just sort of, you know, made sure that he was just out of the way. I wonder if the movie was worse for him not being involved or better for him not being involved. Like, I wonder which way it went, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's really, really hard, I think, I imagine, for the writer to be there. Like, I can, you know, like, I mean, when you when uh, when you read about people who sell, make a novel, they, they sell to a Hollywood or they write a screenplay that gets sold, you know, they, um, 
you know, they almost always say like, you know, they don't ask for your input. Like you're yeah. on your own. You know what I'm saying? Like you've gotten your money, you've gotten paid and, and Adios. they go off on their own. You know, the only, right, exactly. So, I mean, maybe, you know, maybe uh, Ken Russell was right to kick him off. Like, what's this guy doing here? Like I, I paid the rights, you know, whatever. We got the screenplay. Get out of my yeah. face. You know, the only exception to that that I can think of in recent years is John Green, who wrote uh, The Fault in Our Stars. He wrote a lot about the fact that, like, he was on the set for the entire filming of the movie. And he was very, very welcome. And they would ask him, like, hey, did we get this right? Are you okay with the way we're doing this? And he talked about the making of The Fault in Our Stars as, like, a very, very rewarding experience. But I remember being struck by that because it's never what you hear. You know, you always hear the Well, opposite. Arthur C. Clarke and Stanley Kubrick spent, like, two months in a hotel room, you know, working on, on the screenplay for 2001. Right. 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 And, you know, it's funny. It just just really brief on that. But even they had lots of troubles. And, you know, um, Kubrick held all the cards. Like I just read the 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 book about 2001, the 50 year retrospective book. And Kubrick held all the cards and he held, you know, all the control. And and, you know, Clark got strung along and, you know, the Kubrick got all the money and. You know, really, it was kind of the same thing where where the writer, you know, Kubrick took all of Clark's best ideas and threw all his own best ideas. And then Clark was kind of shut out. And most of the photos of the two of them looking happy and smiling were done before filming started. Mm -hmm. So, you know, not maybe, you know, not that different. And Clark was near bankruptcy at that point. He had made some bad investments and he really, really needed the 2001 book to uh to sell well but he was kind of tied to kubrick and he couldn't finish the book until kubrick finished the movie so that they would end on similar notes and i'm telling you like what's one of the big things that i learned in that book was was how difficult their relationship was which stuff that i had read previously did not really convey yeah. by the way patty chesky wrote um network yeah network yeah, yeah which yeah. i love um network you know it's funny because um did you ever? Did, we haven't done a podcast on Nightcrawler, no. have we? Because Nightcrawler with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, I kind of feel like is the spiritual successor to um, uh, to Network. It, it addresses a lot of the same exact issues, just in a different decade. But I love yeah, it's Network. It's been a long time. Like I've seen Network many times, and I just think it's great. Yeah, you're still mad as hell. Well, you know, it's funny because I learned that phrase, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore, from the Mad Magazine parody of right. Network, which I read years before I actually saw well, Network. you and I you know. learned a lot of things from Mad Magazine parodies. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Years God bless William yeah, I mean, Gaines. We, we didn't know what the hell they were referring to frequently, but we, I mean, we learned a lot from Mad Magazine. Yeah, no, I mean, like, well, you know, it's funny because if you talk to, you know, it's funny, like, if you talk to Americans our age, um, you know, like, Mad Magazine had a huge impact. And my brother and I, uh, in our bathroom, like, my brother and I had this one bathroom in our house that our parents didn't really use, that my brother and I used, and we had a wicker basket. And in that wicker basket were, like, literally, like, 200 or issues of mad magazine like the covers were torn off pages were missing we'd done the fold in in the back and ruined it yeah. you know um and we just read those mad magazines over and over and over again and like we we memorized all the yeah. jokes and i don't know if you remember sometimes they would have like musical parodies where they would rewrite yeah. the lyrics to so my brother and i memorized all the lyrics but if you meet british people you know what they talk what? about 
We talk about punch the same way that you and I talk about mm. mad. And like, I've met British people our age who have said to me like, oh, I memorized every joke and punch. Exact same idea. Like, you know, the sort of humor magazine of the ages for, mm. you know, sort of like, you know, pre-adolescence type things. Because I think my brother and I kind of gave up mad by, the, by when we were about 13, 14. Like, we were kind of done with it. But from like, from like 8 to... 13, 14, we, we devoured Mad Magazine. Yeah. You know, Chayefsky also wrote Marty. Have you ever seen Marty? Oh, a long time ago. With uh, Ernest was, Borgnine. I believe Ernest role. Borgnine won Best I think Actor he did, yes. for it. But uh, that's that's Patty Chayefsky as well. But you could kind of see how after, you know, Marty, right, um, uh, the Americanization of Emily, right, Network, The Hospital, you know, some big, big movies like this thing comes out and Chayefsky kind of loses his shit yeah. over it. You know, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you know, like, so he takes his name off. He's listed by his actual first and middle name. And it says written by Sidney Aaron, which is Chayefsky's real first and middle name. That's how he hmm. kind of like, um, you know, uh, put a pseudonym on there. What, what do they, what do they, what do the, what do the directors put on when the director doesn't want to be associated with the movie anymore what do you mean oh like when a director dissociates themselves what from a movie yeah it's, it's always the same name. oh yeah 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 um i can't remember um oh alan Smithy. oh that's right that's right right like when the director says like when the stu like when the director doesn't have final cut and the studio re-edits the movie over his objections yeah. or her objections like it says directed by alan smithy which is like wink wink like you're about to see a piece of shit or, right. or they put his name <laughs> and alan smithy <laughs> written by this and alan smithy right so if you watch the two-hour cut of dune it says directed by david lynch if you watch the four-hour cut of dune it says directed by alan smith mm. Which is funny, because at the time, I didn't know what that meant. I remember the first time I saw the four-hour Dune, I was like, who's Alan Smithy? And I only, only years later, when I was older, figured out what that actually meant. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Could they have saved this? The problem is they have to go into the black hole. Like, and then there's no way that they can go into the black hole, and it's not stupid. I think they could have saved it. I really do. And they spent money yeah, on effects. I don't know. They didn't need that many. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it didn't make much money, but you know, again, it it uh, it launched uh, it launched his career. Her she had some other. She was in movies before this. This was not her first movie. She was in the Paper Chase. Isn't she wasn't she in the um, wasn't she, um, she? She was in Continental Divide with Belushi. Yeah. Do you remember that one? And then she's in Strapless and. Uh, and then a few other things. I mean, she has her career goes on till just a few years ago. She's still in movies. She's still alive, yeah. I think. Um, she was in Space Cowboys. I was trying to remember who she was in Space Cowboys. Mm. Uh, anyway, I don't All know. Right. I don't know. Next week, <laughs> I think we've gone as far as we can go. Space, Next week, space Network. Cowboys. You know, Space Cowboys is on the Roku this month, and uh, it's, you know, it's funny, like, I do love me some Clint Eastwood, but Space Cowboys is not Clint's finest hour. Yeah, I don't think it really counts. Although he did direct that one, <sighs> didn't he? Yeah, no, he directed and starred in it. You know, it's funny because it's sort of like four kind of like different genre movies all thrown together. Like, you can't decide what kind of movie it is. But anyway, we digress. 
Uh, anything else on altered states? I gotta get out of this. I'm, I gotta get out of this tank of uh, you know lime jello that I've been laying in this entire okay. time. You know, while, by the way, while we were talking, I've I've mutated into a Spanish conquistador. <laughs> uh, I gotta go wipe the blood <laughs> off my mouth. Right, exactly. I I killed a small rodent during the course of this podcast. <laughs> Unfortunately, it was in your colon. <laughs> We'll put up some links to um, the scene from Alien, the AHA video, and the relevant scenes in this as well. All right. All right, everybody. (laughs) Thanks.